Okay, take your Bible, turn to Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Little did I plan, little did I plan that when we began the exposition through the book of Psalms a couple of months ago, that Psalm 9 would in fact be maybe not the most, you know, expected psalm to go to for a Thanksgiving message, but it certainly is an appropriate psalm because as you see here in verse 1, we're going to talk about giving thanks. And you have the outline right there in front of you in your handout. The title of the message is Giving Thanks in Thankless Times. Giving Thanks in Thankless Times. I want you to follow with me, and I just want to read verses 1 and 2. We're going to read the rest of it as we go through the psalm, but let's just begin with verses 1 and 2. Here's what we read in the psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. What an amazing beginning to the psalm. Psalm 9 verse 1. I will give thanks with all my heart. I mean, think about that. With all of my heart. Not 50% of my energy, but 100% of my energies and faculties. I will give thanks to the Lord. Christians, we ought to be the most thankful people on planet Earth. We ought to be just oozing forth with gratitude. First Thessalonians 5.18 Paul tells us that we ought to give thanks in every circumstance. And yet you and I know as well that non-believers are marked in Romans 1.21 as those who do not honor God, nor do they give thanks to God. A thankless people are an ungodly people. And we live in a thankless, we live in a godless, we live in a very rebellious world. That's who we were before God saved us. And yet, as you and I live in this world, you and I work in this world, you and I are walking in this world, the darkness of the world can appear to prevail. It appears to prevail. And the godly man, the godly woman may wonder, is there any hope? I mean, is God really going to act? Is God going to take action? Is God going to deal with the wicked? Is he really going to do that? What we must remember is that we must dispel the darkness with the light of truth. And I want to give you, just by way of introduction, you have it in your outline there, I want to give you five beacons of light. Beacons of light that you can thank God in every season of life. You can thank him for this tomorrow morning. You can thank him for it next week. You can thank him for it next year. Because these are wonderful truths from the word of God that are timeless. Number one, you can thank God for the past. You can thank God for the past. And by that, I mean this. Remember that long before the worlds began, God foreknew you. What does that mean? He set 
his perfect, foreknowing love, saving love upon you. It's an amazing concept to ponder. That in the past, God elected you. He chose you. He predestined you for a purpose. That long ago, before the worlds began, God knew you. He called you. He said his lavish, infinite affection upon you. You can thank God for the past. Number two, you can thank God, second of all, for his providence. And maybe this is something you can be thinking about so that you can testify in a little bit here. The providence. What is the providence? It is that God is wisely working everything in a timely way, in a perfect way, and in a divine governing over all things. So that everything that ever happens is the working out of God's will. It's an amazing thing. There's no luck. There's no coincidence. There's no happenstance. We call it the hand of God in providence, working all things according to his will. You and I can praise God and thank him for his providence. Third, you and I can thank God for your pardon. For your pardon. I mean, can I just remind you today that your sin has been erased? That in Jesus Christ, you are completely forgiven. That as a person who has surrendered everything to Christ in trust, he has expiated your sin. He has cleared it. He has erased it. He has washed it away. Isaiah says he has thrown it into the bottom of the ocean. What a great God. You can thank God that he's forgiven you. Fourth, you can thank God for his promise. For his promise. It is the certain and the fair and the just judgment that God will, in fact, punish the wicked. More on that in Psalm 9 here in a little bit. That is actually a worthy reason to praise the Lord. Because God will deal with the wicked. But not only is there the promise that he'll deal with the wicked, there is the unfailing handwritten guarantee from your father that he will give you eternal life. He will bring you to eternal life. He will carry you to eternal life. He certifies your eternal life. And speaking of that, number five in your outline, you can thank God for paradise. It's an old Greek word, paradise. A heaven. It is the hope. It is the beholding of God. It is the full enjoyment of Jesus Christ. Heaven is a realm of thanksgiving, Revelation 4.9 tells us, where worshipers give glory and honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne. In heaven, you and I will be thanking God forever. You and I have every reason to thank God. The Lord, even in a dark world, we have these five beacons of light that shine clearly and they are timeless so that whatever happens in our world, you and I can hold forth these beacons of light to give thanks to the Lord. Well, Psalm 9 teaches that. 
And Psalm 9 is a psalm written by David. You see it in the title here. And it is a Thanksgiving psalm. It's a remarkable psalm. You and I think about Thanksgiving and maybe we kind of gravitate to heaven, the gospel, grace, mercy, And that's true, and some of those come out in Psalm 9, but by far, this is a thanksgiving psalm because God is just, and he's going to deal with the wicked. I mean, it's maybe not what you and I would first think about when we think about a thanksgiving song, but God will deal with the wicked. As I was reading Psalm 9, and I've been reflecting on it, there are four themes They keep coming up, and I want you to get it, because it's kind of a long psalm, and we don't have the time to go through all of it in detail. But if you can get these four little phrases that I have in your outline, you'll get the whole psalm. Here's the four themes. Number one, the kingship of God. God sits over all. He reigns over all. He rules as the king. Number two, the judgment of God. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. Number three, the telling of the good deeds of the Lord. The telling of the deeds of the Lord. And then number four, the thanksgiving and the praise of God. When we interweave those four themes together, you have Psalm 9. That's what the psalm is all about. And one way that I want to help you think about this. We all acknowledge we live in a scary world. It's getting scarier by the day. It's a dark world. It's a depraved world, celebrating, glorying in evil. And when you're tempted to fear, deep knowledge of God is what drives out fear. Deep knowledge of God is what drives out fear. In other words, rejoicing in God and knowing God rightly is what will dispel all fears. We will not fear when we are resting in our God. So here's my goal. I want you to take verse one and make it your own resolve tonight. Make it your own resolve tomorrow. Make it your own resolve this weekend. And as we read verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. I want to explain how to do that in four ways. That's the psalm. That's the outline. I'll explain how to do that in four ways. In your outline, you see four headings. Number one, you can give thanks first with joyful praises. You can give thanks with joyful praises. Oh, to praise God, to worship God, to reflect on the power of God is the antidote to fear. We replace fear with the joy in the character of God and the promises of God and the victory of God. Notice the four resolves, I will. Verse one, I will give thanks to the Lord. Verse 1, I will tell of all of your wonders. Verse 2, I will be glad and exult in you. And I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. What I love about the end of verse 2, O Most High, that is a phrase describing God 
that speaks of him as the ruler of the heavens and the earth. It comes from Genesis. That God is the king. He's the ruler over all the nations, over all the kings. God is ruler. And we ought to give thanks and we ought to tell about him and be glad in him and sing praise to him and tell of his greatness. Will you look with me at the end of verse 1? I just want to pull out one simple phrase here. I will tell of all of your wonders. What an interesting word, wonders. We could describe that in three ways. The, the main idea of this Hebrew word for wonder is the miracles of God. Let, let, in other words, let me just tell you about the miracles of God. He created the world. He parted the Red Sea. He, he, he made man out of the dust of the earth. And God breathed life into his nostrils and he's a living soul. That God is the one who raises the dead. I mean, what an amazing God. He is the one who transferred our sin to the Son of God and his righteousness to us by simple faith. What a God. But not only does it speak of the miracles of God, I think another way that we can think about the wonders of God this Thanksgiving season, number two, it also implies the providences of God, the workings of God in your life. So how has God worked in your life today, this week, this year, with your family, where he brought you out of, where you are today, where you're planning to go, and all of the workings and providences and, and, and intricate design of God in your life. We ought to tell of the workings of God. So the miracles of God, the workings of God, and then there's a third implication of verse two, verse one, I will tell of your wonders. It's the promises of God in the Bible. Let, let, let me tell you about some of the promises that have encouraged my heart. That God said that nothing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ. And on and on you could go with the promises of God. It's such a full Hebrew word. I'm, I'm just drawing out three explanations and descriptions of the wonders of God. We can talk about the miracles of God. We can talk about the working of God in your life. And then we can talk about the promises of God in the scripture. Maybe that can be some helpful fodder for conversation tomorrow around your Thanksgiving table. Can, can I tell you about the workings of God, the promises of God, the workings of God in my life? You could apply that tonight. You could apply that tomorrow. You can apply that this weekend. So the first explanation of giving thanks to the Lord, number one, is we can do so with joyful praise to God. Verses one and two. In your outline, number two, another explanation. Verses three to 10, now we sort of come to the, to the meat of the psalm. Give thanks for divine judgment. You can give thanks for divine judgment. Now, David is writing this, and David is in difficulty. We know he's in difficulty. He's got enemies, and he feels outnumbered, and he feels overpowered. He feels helpless, and yet he knows that what he is powerless to do, 
God has promised to bring judgment to the wicked one day in the future. Follow with me as I read beginning in verse 3. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Before we talk, about the judgment of God on the wicked. Christian, look at the very end of verse 10. Do you see that there? What a comfort there is. That those who know your name will put their trust in you. Why? Because you, Lord, never forsake those who seek you. Do you see that? What a promise from the Lord in his word. Now, verses 3 to 6 are David speaking to God in prayer. These are, in the Hebrew language, what we call a prophetic verbal form. It's, It's talking about something in the past, even though it's referring to an event in the future, as if it's so certain to happen, he can describe it as if it's already happened. God is so certainly gonna judge the wicked He says in verse 5, God, you've rebuked the nations and you've destroyed the wicked and you've blotted out their name forever and ever. Well, God hasn't done all that yet, but it's a prophecy. One day it will. One day God will do this. And God, verse 4, is sitting on the throne judging righteously. Let us hear and let us remember that there is really one ultimate true supreme court and God is the true judge. He is the ultimate one who sits on the throne. And not only will he judge verses 3 through 6, but look at verses 7 to 9. Now we see the power of God. Verse 7, the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. Verse 9 tells us that God will be a stronghold. I love this word stronghold. It's not really a common word, stronghold. It it speaks of a military high-walled fortress. I mean, a super high, that the point is a high fortress. That's the point of this word. The point of God being a stronghold means it is unconquerable. It is unassailable. It is impenetrable. This is the only protection that David has. God, you're my high fortress my high fortress. You know, David knows the only way to be saved from the coming judgment of God is to hide in God. 
In other words, there's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. There's only salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no salvation outside of him. There's no refuge outside of him. There's no security outside of him. There's only hope in Christ, hiding in him. The context is such a a comforting one. It's a reason to give thanks. God, you're the judge. You sit on the throne. And David lived in ungodly times, and you and I live in ungodly times. And yet you and I can affirm and praise that, God, you will judge the wicked. You will blot out their name forever. The very memory of them will perish And then verse 8, look at verse 8. God will judge the world in righteousness. 1,000 years after David wrote this, there was another man who was in a very pagan city, the city of Athens. Acts chapter 17. Paul is preaching on Mars Hill. And the apostle Paul says, God is now declaring to all men everywhere that you must repent. And then he quotes this, because God will judge the world in righteousness. Paul knew Psalm 9. Paul was a man of thanks. And Paul, in his preaching, he warned sinners. And he knew that there was coming a day when God would judge the wicked. You know, verse verse 7 tells us that God's throne is for judgment. Verse 9 tells us that God is a stronghold in times of trouble. But let your eye look down to verse 12 real quick. Look at verse 12. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Can you ponder the promise of God's punishment and his judgment upon the godless? Those who have pursued the godly, those who have persecuted the godly. And yet verse 12, God doesn't forget their cry. God doesn't forget the cry of the godly, of the afflicted. Just one example, we could give many examples, but I think of, those who were martyred at the hands of Mary I, we know her better as Bloody Mary, the Queen of England in 1553, only to 1558, a very short reign that she had, 287 Protestants she killed, including 56 women, 30 others died in prison, like John Rogers, Lawrence Sanders, John Hooper, Roland Taylor, Rollins White, Thomas Tompkins, Robert Hunter, John Bradford, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley. On and on we could go. Saints who serve the Lord. And yet God heard the cry of the afflicted and God who requires blood remembers them. Today, you and I, you and I can thank God that he hears the cry of the afflicted and and that he will deal with the wicked one day. 
we can thank God. We can give thanks with joyful praise, number one. We can give thanks for divine judgment, number two. But now in your outline, number three, you and I, a third explanation. We can give thanks for the protecting mercies of God. The protecting mercies mercies of God. Look at verse 11. This is great. I mean, look at this interjection right here. Verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his uh, among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them, and he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death, so that I may tell of all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment in the work of his own hands. The wicked is ensnared. And then you've got a little phrase, Higion, Selah. In Hebrew, that would be meditate and pause. Ponder. Meditate. That you and I can sing to God. We can declare the deeds of God. We can give thanks to the Lord for his protecting mercies. There may come a time when you feel in danger. There may come a time When you feel that the wicked are pursuing you, if not physically, spiritual enemies certainly do that with all of the the enemies, hosts that we have in the heavenly places, no doubt. What do we do? Look at how David adds right here in verse 11. Here's what we ought to do. Sing praise to the Lord. End of verse 11. Declare among the peoples his deeds. I think there's a reason that in in the history of God's people through the church, they sang hymns, psalms, to fortify them. In times of difficulty, in times of martyrdom, in times of oppression, in times of suffering, in times of plague, in times of disease, in the tough, trying periods, singing and praising God can be such a wonderful, wonderful way to remind us of the mercies of God and to fortify us. In the Reformation period, Luther's hymns were the, were the songs of the saints. During the revivals in England, the hymns of Wesley and, and Cooper and John Newton were on the lips of God's people. All through the history of God's people, the psalms were sung by God's people. We can hide the word of God in our heart. And we can sing it forth with our lips. David, in verse 13, look at what he says. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Why? Be gracious to me, verse 14, so that I may tell of all of your praises. Oh, you and I can thank God for his protecting mercies. He is a God of grace. A God of mercy. He is a God who protects you. He is a God who hears your cries. Has he shown this mercy to you? 
Has He given you every reason to worship and praise and exult in Him because you've cried out for His help and His mercy and His grace and He has abundantly lavished it upon you? Did you notice verse 15? It's kind of like a a boomerang effect. The wicked, verse 15, they dig a pit for the godly. But it's actually the wicked who end up falling into their own pit that they make. They will fall by their own doing. The wicked sink into the hole which they made. It's like the the story of Esther. Remember that? When Haman... And that, and that terrible, that ungodly plot, he, he built these gallows for Mordecai the Jew. He hated Mordecai, couldn't stand Mordecai. And he had this plot to, to build the gallows and he was going to hang Mordecai the Jew only to be executed on the gallows that he himself built. That, that's, what, that's what God will do to the wicked. Verse 16, the Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment in the work of his own hands. The wicked is ensnared. Christian, you and I can praise and thank the Lord. Yes, with joyful praise. Yes, because he will divinely judge the wicked. And he gives protective mercies. You cry out to him. You cry out to him. Be gracious to me. And he is. He's merciful and gracious compassionate, forgiving. And then, and then the psalm in verses 17 to 20 ends with these four verses that give us the fourth explanation of how we can give thanks to the Lord with all of our hearts. Number four, give thanks for God's unfailing victory. Can I just remind you? No political tyrant anywhere in the world is going to have the ultimate victory. Only Jesus Christ, the King. There is a final judgment coming. And so, Christian, we we ought to relax. We ought to rejoice. We ought to rest in our God because our Savior has the victory. And verse 17, I'm sure you, you know it well. The wicked will return into Sheol. I I like the King James. It's more literal to the Hebrew. It says the wicked will be turned into hell. That's the idea. The wicked will be turned into hell. It's It's a, the word Sheol or the word the grave or the word hell here in verse 17 is a doubly emphatic word. There's emphasis at the beginning of the word and there's emphasis at the end of the word because what David wants us to know is, oh yes, the wicked will go back to the dust, no doubt, but they will perish in hell forever. Forever. They will return. They will be turned to Sheol, to the grave, to hell. All the nations, verse 17, all the nations who forget God. What a reminder. Church family, let's not be those who forget the Lord. We can do work for God, but we don't want to forget our God. We don't want to be busy doing all the ministry for God and yet forget affection 
for our Savior. Like the church at Ephesus that had all the great things going on, but they left their love for Christ. It's so easy for man to forget the majesty of God. It's so easy for man to forget the mercies of God. It's so easy for man to forget the laws of God. It's it's easy for man to forget the presence of God. It's easy for man to forget the justice of God. It's, It's easy for man to forget the Redeemer of God. Let's not forget our Christ. We humbly hear the words from Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he just simply said, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Descendant of David, according to my gospel. Remember him. Remember this God. And then we read in verse verse 18, For the needy will not always be forgotten, nor will the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. What a prayer, verse 19. Lord, will you please rise up? Don't let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Let them know that they're just mere humans. Can I remind you? All the wealth of presidents, prime ministers, kings, national officials put together. All the wisdom of professors and teachers and university elites and all scientists. All the power of human armies and researchers and environmentalists. All the eloquence of bloggers and journalists and speakers and political emissaries. If you just add all that together, it's like David says, God, you will show them they are just but mere men. Mere men. And you know what I love about the Hebrew word mere men at the end of verse 20? The last word of the psalm. It's a Hebrew word for men that speaks of the fragile. Man is breakable. Man is fragile. Man is transitory. Man is weak. Let all of the nations know that they are fragile, weak, nothing in comparison to Almighty God. Christian, you and I can thank the Lord. You and I can thank the Lord for God's unfailing victory. All the nations will be judged before our God. We can praise the Lord. We can worship him. Maybe if I were to sum all of this up in just a few very simple phrases as we close. Christian, tonight, you can give thanks because Jesus is praiseworthy. He's praiseworthy. He's the miracle worker. He's the wonder worker. Number two, you can give thanks because Jesus is the warrior king. He is the warrior king. Number three, you can give thanks because Jesus is full of mercy. Full of mercy. Be gracious to me, and he will. Have compassion upon me, and he will. Protect me, and he will. And number four, you can give thanks to the Lord. Because Jesus is the God of victory. Don't don't we have every reason to thank the Lord? Every reason to thank the Lord. Every possible 
reason. As we close, I was reading this week, I came across yet again the biography of the name that you probably are familiar with, but the biography was a good reminder to me. Thomas Watson was a Puritan, and his wife, they had seven children together. Four of them died when they were young. Thomas Watson went through his own fair share of difficulties and opposition when he was living in England in the Puritan era. He was ejected from his church, and he had to preach outside in barns, had to preach in homes, had to preach outdoors in the woods. He had a close friend and a ministry confidant, you probably know this name, Stephen Charnock a brilliant man, a wonderful Puritan, a prolific writer. He died suddenly when they were ministering together. I mean, just difficult times that Thomas Watson went through. After all this, Thomas Watson once said, there are two difficulties in my Christian ministry. Number one, he said, it is difficult to make the unbeliever sad in a state without grace. It's hard to make the unbeliever realize they ought to mourn and be sad because they are living in a state of no grace. He said, but second of all, in the Christian ministry, he said, it's difficult to make the believer glad when they're living in a state of grace. We're living in grace. We have the mercy of God. We have the king who rules over us. We have every reason to be glad and to give thanks and to praise our God. Let's rejoice and be glad and abide in Christ. And if anyone is here today and you're outside of Christ, he is not your stronghold. And he's not your refuge. You need to hear not only what David said, but what Paul said. He said that God is going to judge the world in righteousness. Now is the time for you to cry out for the mercy of God. To cry out for God to save you. For God to have mercy upon you, just like David's words. Take verse 13 and make it your own. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Take those words, make them your own. God is a God who loves to show grace. Loves to show grace. May the Lord remind us that for those of us who have come to the Savior, He is our King. He is our rock. He is our stronghold. We have every reason to give thanks. Every reason to give thanks to the Lord with all of our heart. Don't we? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the psalm that you have given to us. We thank you, O Lord, for Psalm 9, even for the beginning of Psalm 9. Lord, may that be our resolve that we would give thanks to you, O Lord, with all of our hearts. O merciful God, would you help us to do that, we pray. Even tonight as we testify and encourage one another, and tomorrow as we gather with family and friends, may you, may you be the theme of our conversation and the joy of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.